This is LBC with Tom Swarbrick. Text 84850. 10-6, Friday. Tom Swarbrick on LBC can, should and will only mean one thing. That this show finally slips out of first gear. With Simon Marks, American Week. Tom, we have got a mountain to get through, so let's start with the remarkable moment when the most feral person in Washington is not a Trump-backed Republican, determined to shut the US government down this weekend, but a British cabinet minister. Where individuals are being persecuted, it is right that we offer sanctuary. But we will not be able to sustain an asylum system if, in effect, simply being gay or a woman or fearful of discrimination in your country of origin is sufficient to qualify for protection. Home Secretary Suella Braverman made Washington, D.C. the unlikely setting for that inflammatory speech in which she proposed ripping up the central tenets of global refugee policy along with the treaties and laws that govern the rights to asylum. Illegal migration is not merely an event-driven or cyclical problem. It's a permanent and structural challenge for the developed nations in general and the West in particular. Unless we act... It will only worsen in the years to come. You will undoubtedly have heard about that speech and the furious reaction to it from the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. But the American people largely did not. The Home Secretary's visit did not garner a single mention on America's nightly network news programmes, not even a footnote in the Washington Post nor the New York Times. But it was notable that when Republican presidential aspirants gathered for their second TV debate, it took place on Wednesday, not a single one of them went anywhere near as far as Suella Braverman on the issue of asylum. We want you here in this country to fill the six million vacant jobs we have, but only if you come here to follow the law and only if you come here legally. Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, he tried so hard to have a good night along with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis targeting Donald Trump for once again skipping a debate. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. Where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. But the former president had the last laugh. The debate was a national embarrassment in which the Fox News moderators at times lost control and the discussion, for want of a better word, descended into mayhem. You here's, are here's scrapping. A, here's you a, are a, scrapping. I'm not scrapping. You know here's, I here's fought Here's a fact. Here's a fact, though. I cut you, back and he said I you, loaded up our You wanted a gas tax increase and then you wanted Except they did go ahead like this again and again. It was so pathetic that by the time it ended, Ron DeSantis told reporters afterwards that if he'd been unlucky enough to be a viewer at home, he would have switched channels. Trump, proving that even a broken clock is right twice a day, dismissed the event as boring and inconsequential and urged the Republican National Committee to scrap all future debates and simply recognise that his lead in the race for the Republican nomination is now unassailable. On debate night, once again, he counter-programmed, this time travelling to Michigan. I side with the auto workers of America and with those who want to make America great again, and I always will. 
portraying himself as a friend of striking auto workers, it's now reported that some members of that crowd were bussed in by Trump's team and don't even work in the car industry. But the former president gave that industry a piece of his mind, accusing America's big three car manufacturers of caving in to President Biden's climate change agenda. I don't get why Ford and GM, why these car makers aren't fighting for to make cars that are going to sell, to make cars that are going to be able to go on long distances. They immediately give up. I see it with the oil companies, too. It's like they're told what to do, and that's what they go against their industry. They're either stupid or they're gutless. He also engaged in a bizarre riff about electric-powered boats, postulating that if one of them sank, everyone on board might get electrocuted. But we don't have time for that because we've got to cross to the current president of the United States, who 24 hours earlier made history in Michigan by joining a picket line. Wall Street didn't build the country. The middle class built the country. <laughs> Let's keep going. You deserve what you've earned, and you've earned a hell of a lot more than you're getting paid now. Thank you. Cheer they might because the president later told reporters he's backing the United Auto Workers claim for a 40% pay rise. Joe Biden is the first president in history, including Franklin D. Roosevelt, to ever walk a picket line. Former Treasury Secretary Robert Reich on left-leaning MSNBC lapped it up. This is the first president in certainly my lifetime that has said, in effect, whose side are you on? I'm on the side of the working class. Republicans scoffed. Kevin McCarthy the Speaker of the House of Representatives, accusing the President of hypocrisy. It'll be interesting to see those auto workers ask the President about his policies that subsidize electric cars that are putting them out of business and sending their jobs overseas. Now, speaking of the Speaker, he's had a very rough week. First, far-right Republicans in the House launched their impeachment investigation into President Biden. Regular listeners will remember there is absolutely no evidence to support the Trump-backed contention that the President heads an organized crime family and was in corrupt cahoots with his son Hunter. And the Republican fishing expedition yesterday suffered an immediate blow at the hands of a supposedly star witness. I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. Jonathan Turley, once a respected constitutional law expert who sullied his copybook for many in this city by throwing his hat into Donald Trump's ring. That unexpected testimony torpedoed day one of the impeachment probe and infuriated Trump's political advisor Steve Bannon, who offered this advice to Republicans in Congress. Staff should have gone through and ask questions like that. And if that was the professor's thought and that's what he believes, maybe we bring him in in a couple of weeks. Maybe we don't start with him. Monday morning quarterbacking, I think they call that. Democrats like Congressman Jared Moskowitz of Florida couldn't believe their ears. What a day we are having here, isn't it? Right? I mean, listen, I, as a former director of emergency management, I know a disaster when I see one. <laughs> now, all of this would be funny, except while that panto was taking place on Capitol Hill, the clock was ticking. We are 35 hours away now from a U.S. government shutdown. Yes, another one. It could cause fresh economic dislocation, not just here in the U.S., but overseas. At issue, President Biden's $7 trillion budget. Far-right Republicans want to shred it. They accuse him of spending 
spending money like a drunken sailor, and they want to gut any further U.S. support for Ukraine. Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker, has entirely failed to find a compromise that he can sell to his own Republican members. Have you actually gave out a plan B if this falls apart yeah, tomorrow? Why do I tell you? In this job, you got to have A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Okay, so what letter are you on now? <laughs> Nervous laughter there, but it's deeply serious. Millions of federal workers are about to be furloughed. They won't be paid until the shutdown ends. National parks and museums will be shuttered. America's poor may struggle to receive their benefits. It's another dreadful message to send to the rest of the world. Speaking about the rest of the world, Secretary of State Antony Blinken launched a new initiative this week to use music as a tool of American public diplomacy. And he put his mouth where his money is. In the seventh hour America's top diplomat turns out to be quite a blues singer. He sang from the Muddy Waters songbook at the State Department, and we have never seen him happier. So happy as madness once again grabbed this city by the throat that you've got to wonder, Tom, whether he's ever thought about giving up the day job. Washington, D.C. with the best storytelling on the radio, Simon Marks, American Week.